Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons, jam-packed with news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story continues to be the movement to defund the police, to disband the police in some places, and I think there are a couple of different angles working here. Number one, I feel like it's the Democrats, the, w- the way the GOP works, and this is what I've always objected to, they just split the difference. They're the big compromisers work together. Anytime there's something bipartisan, it's always moving away from liberty and towards the Democrats. So if the Democrats move the center by making the most radical possible proposal, GOP will just meet them halfway. So I feel like by encouraging this idea that the police would just go away entirely, they're getting the GOP to pivot to some of their initiatives. I don't, the initiatives that the GOP wants to embrace doesn't, they, they don't seem bad to me that it's Tim Scott. Of course, they get the only black Senate Republican to lead the charge on this. Fair enough. He said, or the article, explaining it in the journal is that the GOP proposal would collect more data from police departments about when force is used. I think that's consistent with the Democrats. Increase the use of body cameras, of course. Implement new training to de-escalate tense situations and other measures. And I just, when I think about this, I do wonder if there's any real statistical or any studies that will say whether these are the right solutions. I'm, this stuff seems fine. The immunity thing is, should go away that Justin Amesh is, is championing. But when you look at the idea of defunding or disbanding the police, is that, is the net, I say the net impact is actually probably negative on the inner cities as long as you have all of these policies in place that make the inner cities dangerous. They're all government policies. It's these, it's the they probably enforce gun bans in inner cities more. I, I mean, I think that's actually a known fact. They increase gun violence by making drugs a black market where they can't use the same systems everybody else uses, the courts, whatever. They have to do their own justice, which which can often be just pure violence. They have this terribly subversive public education program there that totally dumbs people down and makes it impossible for them to function in the normal economy. So if you have any smarts, you're going to go into the drug thing because that's your entrepreneurship that doesn't require knowledge of a, of the higher culture. And then I, I always think private property rights are strict. If you can strictly defend your private property with guns or whatever, you're you're really not going to need the police. So you don't need the police as long as these things aren't in place. But they're not nobody's talking about changing the things that create the violence that create the need for the police. I think the drug war is a jobs program for police. And I think that if if they want to defund the police, I'm I'm willing to call their bluff. Arm up to the extent, make it very clear what the self-defense laws are, what the citizen arrest laws are. 
what the gun laws are, and maybe they maybe they'll spark the boogaloo on purpose. But the way the memes are playing out, the hashtag Seattle Autonomous Zone is followed with pictures of see what happens when we push the police out of this zone near Capitol Hill, and it just what is says that? old people. It's the Seattle Autonomous Zone is where they put they pushed all the police or whatever out of this particular area. They cordoned it off with metal barriers, and everybody is sitting quietly, socially distanced in front of a big TV screen. Like, it really looks like when my kids were in extra saucers watching Dora, but they, the meme that they're generating is that here in Seattle, where we experimented right now in real time with defunding the police, look at how orderly it is. Is now, that where course, a precinct closed recently, like a couple days ago? Uh, I think so. I think I saw an article that said they, that they said, oh, we're clearing out this precinct. And then a tweet that said they said this three days ago. Yeah. So, Whatever it is, they were gearing up for this thing. They act like it was spontaneous. Whoever put that movie theater up there was thinking ahead. That's fine. And I actually believe, as do many libertarians, as a Hayek principle, that society is self-ordering. It's self-ordering because you defend your property, you build roads, blah, blah, blah. This, unless they actually have where where you have no wealth, if you have no resources, if you have no production, but there is there are material goods. That is when I believe you get stealing, you get violence, you get destruction is when they don't have people don't have the the right to produce or the means of production or whatever. So if these people are sitting there just waiting to be fed, I don't think it's going to last long. Yeah, it's an interesting experiment anyway, or the presenting of an experiment. It might be controlled. Totally orchestrated. There was tweets going around, and I'm pretty sure it was about Seattle, about a precinct that was boarded up and police officers, pictures of police officers moving stuff out of that precinct. I don't know what the story is behind that, but I know that the commentary on Twitter and the reaction on Twitter was as though this were another symbolic victory for the protesters that are engaging in rioting activity because there was that Minnesota precinct in Minneapolis that also was shut down. So what that presents is we got this one, we got this one, and people were tweeting stuff. Now the next one we're going to get is here. The next one we're going to get is here. The next one we're going to get is there. So that gives, that signals victory to people protesting nationwide and encourages people to attempt to try and take over other precincts. So it's like a contagion. Yeah. I was I was reading an article that Corbett recommended by Agamben, some Italian guy. It's called it was called Biology and Politics, Biodiversity and Politics. And it and it's short, but I might have mentioned it the other day. And he just talks about the real contagion they're trying to prevent is political contagion. And he also made an interesting point that the masks will make it so that only biomarkers will uh, be available if you can't even identify yourself by looking at your own face like it will be biomarkers and at the same time tony blair came out and re re-supported i guess an old idea of his of having these uh a vaccination id that would be read through fingerprints and facial recognition so there would be a database with all your information there it wouldn't be a vax tat but as you went through, you could get somebody's entire data profile through facial recognition. It just all come up next to you. And that would be your permission to travel to see your coronavirus status. So there's a lot of still these tendrils coming out where, where the same policies are going to be used to just 
upsource all all governments to the technocracy to the world technocracy. I have a lot on that. I'll take a breath. <laughs> the body cam in the George Floyd incident. The lawyer of one of the officers, Officer Lane, who was involved involved in the incident, he was holding down Floyd's legs, and he initially got Floyd out of the truck. He was one of the first ones on the scene. His lawyer was talking about the body cam footage, and what he said was that on the body cam footage, you see Officer Lane go up to the car, have the interaction with Floyd in the car, where. Floyd was sticking his hand underneath the seat. That could be an indication that he's stuffing something under the seat or from a police officer's perspective that he's maybe has a weapon under there. So Officer Lane pulled out his gun. Then Floyd put his hands up. When Floyd put his hands down, Officer Lane put his gun back in in his holster and he got Floyd out of the car, but not without resistance. He was a little bit resistant. He was a little bit incoherent. He appeared to be on something. And then he escorted him to the police car. And there was that little gap where people were trying to figure out, was he in the police car before he ended up on the ground? What happened there? And according to the officer Lane's lawyer, he said that they were trying to get him inside the police car when the other officer showed up and he was resisting getting inside the police car. Is, he's like six foot four or something like that. Maybe six foot three, 220 pounds, muscular guy. And that he was kicking his legs out against the doors and against the inside window that separates the front from the back seat of the car and that he pushed himself off of one of those two things and that is what ended up leading to him being on the ground and the officers then getting on top of him to hold him down so this is not this in my opinion is not good for the prosecution because they raised the standard to the second degree standard. And from my understanding, they're going to have to meet that standard for them to get anything. Maybe I'm wrong did on you, that. Did you see this or I did not you see it. Saw, OK, uh, this was the lawyer talking about it. So it yeah, could be. I, yeah, I, I don't know it. what it actually I mean, shows. Right, this is right, so right. he's he's previewing the defense that we're going to hear. And right. I don't think they're going to meet that standard. I think I think that what it's going to come down to, in my opinion, is going to be why did that officer Chauvin not stop and help because the other officers were under his command. The other officers were new. Officer Lane was his fourth, like his fourth day on the job, I think. So part of their defense is going to be they were taking orders from Officer Chauvin. And I think it's going to be, why didn't he take his knee off? And why did he hold his knee on his neck two minutes after Floyd did not respond? But I think the standard's going to be too high. I think they probably raised the standard on purpose so that the police officer would get off. And I think chaos is going to erupt. I, I think we're, it's not going to be good. I think that's what they want. I and I was listening to a really fantastic podcast yesterday. It was uh, the Rebel Capitalist Show, which I just started listening to. Robert Barnes is a civil rights lawyer, and he's done a lot of work for people of all persuasions. And he really knows his stuff. And he was talking about how before the 60s, cops were or the government was responsible for damage in a riot. It actually worked like an insurance company would, which is what I always want. I want them to re be responsible for not protecting what we're paying them to protect. And then the laws changed in the 60s. And he says that the kind of word on the street is that the Democrats did it in order to have a mob that they could control, unleash, pull back at will. And that gave them all sorts of political power. And that is what's happening with the GOP. Why doesn't the GOP, if it's really just a question of moving the goalpost left or right and, and the, and the left accelerating it by making it crazy or violent, why not just counter that with 
calling Ron Paul back into service and making it that radical because the violence is, is like a threat. That this is the theory of, of how that works. So they, the more violence they have and the more they can command and control it or be perceived as controlling it, the more power they have to set the legislative agenda, for example. So ultimately it still does go to legislation, but, uh, but it, it seems to, it's like what we talked about years ago with the, with the Sarsour stuff. Yes, the power and, of the mob. And, yeah, and how things are done though. And we were talking about, that I ne- will never remember the guy's name, the guy from Panama and the woman who writes in Atlanta. This is at Netroots Nation, which is an activist training conference. Yes. And it was during the Stacey versus Stacey Democratic primary for the gubernatorial race before Stacey Abrams ran against Kemp. And they were they were breaking rules. And it was after Parkland, too, where people would tell the kids to go out and break rules. And I I remember saying Look, I, I don't like this system. I think going through the system does what these people want, which is change my fundamental rights, infringe on my fundamental rights. I don't like how powerful the legislative process is, but it is powerful and it does work. And for some reason, these people are making it not work. They want it to not work. They're saying it doesn't work. They're trying to go outside it, maybe because it's not working for them. I guess that's it. But now I realize that this is... This has been a may have been a Democratic legislative strategy since the 60s of simply, simply creating a mob that exercises its its power outside the law. I mean, this is no news to you, but I'm just trying to clarify it in the current events. Yeah, they send the mobs, the physical mobs that we're seeing on TV and the digital mobs to attack people online, which we're also seeing right now with these people who are like Drew Brees, who's being forced to apologize, Jimmy Kimmel. All these people are being sent to do online civil disobedience, to flood their emails, to flood their Twitter handles, to flood their sponsors, saying, get this person off. We're not going to watch. There's an organized campaign to do this. One of them, I believe, was called Sleeping Giants. The other one was called Grab Your Wallet. And these are both far left progressive organizations that are doing the same thing online that people like Indivisible. Well, Indivisible is doing online also, but Indivisible Black Lives Matter is doing offline in, in the streets. And that demonstrates that meat space presence is still extremely powerful and that, in fact, cordoning off everybody to the digiverse is doing exactly what they want it's separating out who's making an impact and who isn't they yeah. they've really relegated the first amendment for any and for most of us they've got into our minds you've got lockdown you've got curfew you're not allowed to do this you're not allowed to do that and the vast majority of people especially if you're talking about libertarians or people who are absolutely committed to principles, non-aggression principles, stuff like that, versus a group whose leadership has mastered the art of using the mob to intimidate legislators. Yeah, it's it's like the French Revolution, but online also. Yes. The Bolshev- Bolshevik Revolution as well, but online. Yes, the French Revolution was very mob-oriented, and this guy, Robert Barnes, mentioned that. He who controlled the mob controlled 
had the power. Absolutely. And and that is absolutely what we're seeing. It's an old, old trick. I'm, I bet it's thousands of years. This enables well, people as well. power, but... Huh? Yeah, one of the problems is getting people off the couch. We talked about that a lot. But what the digital mob does is it enables you to help ruin the life of somebody that you disagree with from the comfort of your own home. You don't even have to get out of bed to attack them on Twitter, and you're just one of thousands of others. So ruining people's lives from the comfort of your own home. <laughs> yeah, and... And uh, they've mastered that art, too. They've gotten way ahead of that. That's what you were talking about a long time ago, the digital mob, the digital herd. And in or- and now everybody is purely digital. There's no missing it. If you want to function ec- economically, you are going to see headlines flash across your screen that tell you who's a jerk and who's not. And And if you're smart, kind of smart. If you're a self-preserving kind of smart, you make sure you distance from anything those people say or do. Because I'm thinking, why do these people even say anything? Well, I guess they have to say something. They get provoked or however. And some people still think that there's a, a room for integrity or for clarity of speech or some of the stuff they said was stupid and impulsive and not thought out and whatever. But sometimes, I mean... You're people who try to say the right, like what Papa John's, I mean, he fought tooth and nail to try to express what he was saying against the pressure to say something stupid. Right. And they got him anyway. Yeah. I want to say something about something that you mentioned last week about Black Lives Matters, about how it's an organization. And it is an organization. And there was a bunch of umbrella organizations as well that are also protesting Black Lives Matter being kind of plastered everywhere, being the thing that everybody is saying. It sounds like a quote. It sounds like a philosophy. Of course, Black Lives Matter. But it sounds like an idea. Right. It's an organization. It's an organization. And the organization, and you can find this easily, received over $100 million from George Soros and from the, Ford, million. the, the Ford Foundation combined. George Soros and the Ford Foundation. Two, the Ford Foundation helped fund the Nazis. George Soros is on video talking about what he did against Jewish people, whatever you (laughs) think of that, you can watch the video yourself. So what you have is two billionaire organizations led by white people who could both be considered a little bit anti-Semitic that are getting the benefit of all of this Black Lives Matter stuff. So people should really think about that when they're... Well, I'm I'm more concerned uh, that what they're doing is not identity-based at all, that it's really for this restructuring the world thing. So I don't know what, how the Ford Foundation and George Soros and the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates interact with each other. It seems that these movements, which clearly are in different silos, have been coordinated. And it, I would think, although Obama's policing recommendations talked about community-based policing, this getting Congress involved, which I think there will be a Department of Policing, like there's a Department of Education, or maybe it's just going to happen behind the scenes. I don't know. But I feel like all of this is is feeding into the totalitarian technocracy. And there was a, a quote in Spiro's video the other day about the Great Reset, which was a Klaus Schwab thing, World Economic Forum thing, Fourth Industrial Revolution thing. These are the people behind Event 201. These are they. We're talking about they. Ford Foundation, George Soros, Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab's the World Economic Forum. Those are the they for sure in this case. And what he said is they there. He read a quote Spiro did that basically said it's amazing 
how quickly the world adapted to a complete radical change, abandoned all their own habits, just just completely changed everything on a dime. We're amazed. And this is the time to exploit that by implementing all the stuff we've wanted to implement. So I do believe they were they were amazed. It's just like that Facebook onion parody. They were just amazed at how much how people would just feed their, themselves into the machine. And I. I don't see it in the police thing, except for the fact that I believe it is really making pre-crime RoboCop surveillance stuff. I mean, maybe they are going to eliminate human police officers. Not that in not maybe this is phase one, but phase two, they militarize, then they robotize. That's interesting you say that. One of the stories that I brought was about how. There's a rise in COVID hotspots around the country. Predictably, on the same day, Fauci is featured on CNN. Welcome back, Fauci. Welcome back, COVID, is what I think this is leading to. Fauci saying the World Health Organization was wrong in saying that asymptomatic people, it's rare that they spread it. You know, we're getting these conflicting messages again. Fauci we hadn't heard from while the protests have been going on. Now he's back. And what I noticed the most in the stories talking about this and the stories talking about the emerging hotspots, and they're really stretching when they're trying to talk about these hotspots. What I noticed is they just talk casually about, well, cell phone tracking data shows this. Cell phone tracking data shows that. We are now just openly accepting that our cell phones are being tracked and the data is being used and they're not even hiding it anymore. And this was absolutely slipped in. It was already going on, but it was made public and acceptable through the COVID stuff. Another reason he was in the news is this was on the front web page of CNN that he was saying the World Health Organization that came out with this claim that asymptomatic people very rarely spread this disease, if at all. He said, no, no, they're not right about that. But I have a little bit to fill in on that because I dug into that. He early on, Fauci cited an experience in Germany where somebody coming in for a business meeting who was asymptomatic, gave it to the four people in the business meeting. That claim that he made was within days corrected out of Germany and the newspaper saying they had only interviewed the four people. They hadn't interviewed the person who spread it. The person who spread it said that he or she had symptoms and took cold medicine, but was symptomatic, had no idea that the, that it was typhoid Mary time. So, this was corrected on February 3rd publicly, and they still acted like asymptomatic people could spread it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had the lockdown. So I outed that a month ago, but that was still only May 4th. Then I actually investigated a little bit. What would it be? Is that even a thing? It's called an asymptomatic viral shedder. And I told you about that study where they went to Times Square and they took hundreds or even thousands of people. They took nose swabs and they tried to figure out how many of those people who had no symptoms at all still were shedding viruses through their mucous membranes, which is what it would take to spread contagion? I mean, the germ theory is clear on that. So if there's no virus in your swab, you cannot spread it. And they found that nobody or close to nobody could had no symptoms and had virus. So the conclusion was we need to continue to study this, but there we cannot say that there really e even is such a thing in any kind of robustness of an asymptomatic viral shedder. So Fauci yesterday said 
the World Health Organization is wrong. Epidemiological studies show blah, blah. And then the Chinese guy came out and said, oh, the German study shows that while it's rare, it's possible. I... I was looking for footnotes. I was looking for hot links. I wanted to click through to what these people are talking about. And I'm just getting more and more convinced as uh, if you dig into any of their claims, you are not going to find the kind of conclusive uh, evidence that they imply they have for these pronouncements that that are destroying this country. Yeah, I doubt we're going to find it as well. But we will hear about it all the time as though it were 100% true. And that's what's going to leave an imprint. I've tweeted. I've been tweeting this and, and I kind of found some stuff to retweet, but you can go back. I mean, I've been that David Crow infectious myth is just fantastic for his citations and everything. I mean, that's why he's so confident because he he's exhaustive in his research. Yeah, he is. He absolutely Unlike is. Unlike CNN. Yeah. They are <laughs> not know? at all exhaustive. And they're, they're exhausting in their reporting is what they are. <laughs> yes, they're exhausting. Floyd's brother testified before Congress today uh, about racial profiling. And I caught a little bit of it. And what I caught was someone asking him, do you believe that race is why what happened to your brother happened? And he paused for a moment. And for a, for a moment, I thought maybe he's going to say it's unclear. Maybe he's going to say no. He said yes. He said that they worked in the same place. He said his brother was very open, very boisterous. People, he said places he went, people knew him and that him and Chauvin worked together in that place for a long time and that they, they had to have known each other. He didn't seem to say that he knew that they knew each other. He seemed to say that they, he had to know him. And then he said that he thinks that he killed him on purpose because he did not like him because he's a racist. Now, to but jump from he opinion, did not like right? him so. to he's a racist, there was no real explanation of that. But that he did, and he was jumping to the possibility that he was even known to the guy. That's the thing. There's no right. evidence that woman who owns the place went back and forth on the topic. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then the hearing also brought in the sister of the officer, the the retired officer who was shot and killed in a pawn shop. And that that was the headline on... Fox News was her story, which is the right head, the headline for the right. And then on the left was the headline about his brother, about Floyd's brother. So everybody had their red meat to grab on from that narrative there. And then they talked about the changing the legislating the police standards that you were talking about, which you're right. Absolutely. There should be some changes in in the way. I don't think it should be federal, though. Yeah. I mean, it should not be federal. It should be local. The. The uh, I don't know if I can find this, but the Floyd family asked, wrote a letter to the U.N. asking if they would pressure the government to file federal charges against the police officers and also to make federal regulations on use of force and other kind of policing matters. Now, this is kind of the same thing as climate change and everything else. These guys want to supersede the federal government by bringing in world government. That seems to be the movement, the reaction to Trump, rather than restore the 10th Amendment, make it local, take control, make it local to your house, get you know, provide for your own self-defense. And a big part of that, which they're saying, oh, we need to give loans to the inner city. No, the problem 
why little guys can't compete is the privileges that the big corporations get from all the regulatory barriers to entry. So I just the 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 problems here would are created by the big government and reaching up to world government is not going to make you as an individual safer or more respected or richer or any of it. Yeah, I've thought for a while that stuff like this would be happening, that groups would start to reach out to the UN to say we have at first I thought it was to say the Russia has invaded the White House and taken over the White House. Our president's a Russian agent. You need to come in and do something. Now it's the race angle. Our president's a racist. We can't count on him. You need to come in and do something. I think we're probably going to be seeing a lot more of that. Yes. And the climate change thing was a big one, too. And another thing to watch out for is these there are international brotherhoods of police, by the way, as we know, with Kamala Harris. But also, I think the Parkland sheriff was uh, involved in that. And there are these international uh, conferences out of the country of mayors, international conferences of mayors where the mayors will just plug directly into sustainability goals and they pay. Uh, Kasim Reed was the first one in Atlanta to sign up for this UN sustainability thing. And one of the criteria was that you were willing to commit taxpayer resources. They weren't going to help you. And, and he did. And it got no press at all until I noticed it. So this, this stuff is, this is globalization. And you can say that Trump is working hard to fight globalization, but he's certainly not moving the ball in that direction. I wonder what Kasim Reed is up to right now. I haven't looked into him much lately. I bet it's. I think there were some suits. There were. I think that he was getting into some trouble. And I, I'll tell you, as Keisha Lance Bottoms becomes more viable as or more desired, they say, as a VP candidate. I wonder to what extent maybe I should go find the articles and upload them directly. It's going to come out that she was corrupt before she took the oath of office. Her whatever was sworn in. She was corrupt. She had her campaign people getting jobs they were unqualified for in the in the mid to high, I think, six figures at the airport. And the airport was a big source of corruption for Reed. There's a lot of corruption in Georgia and Atlanta. And if she's really going to make it, they're going to have to clean that up. But you're, I guess right. Obama well, she's compromised. Chicago. So they got her compromised. So they can get yeah. her to do what she wants. And Kasim Reed, I've said this before, he won some award from this watchdog that has an award ceremony each year where they give out the award for the most corrupt politician in the country. And they gave the award <laughs> one year to Kasim Reed. I have to point out, though, as far as vying for the VP slot, Kamala Harris, who I now consider after our Sam Tripoli thing, which came out yesterday, super fun, rinse and foil hats. That was, I thought, a great birthday present for you that he released the yeah, show with him. Yeah. And that ever since you brought that stuff up about Kamala Harris, I cannot think of her as anything but the lizard cop. Yeah. Like she's just a lizard people. I feel like she's a lizard in a cop uniform, like uh, the International Brotherhood of Lizard Cops. And she <laughs> is coming out for, she's coming out against, she's kind of for the defunding of the police. She's taking that position. And it actually was in the news that Stacey Abrams has not come out yet. And I have my theory as to why. Oh, are you going to tell us in the patron 15? Oh, you are bad. I never think like that, but. 
Okay. I can't wait to hear it. You guys can At a time. I didn't mean to do that, but I'll, <laughs> I'll bite. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at theprofitreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content we post every day that we post a DNB, you can go to patreon.com slash report and become a patron. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.